Welcome to the third episode of the Future Shoes podcast. We are, as part of this mini-series, exploring various topics which represent the life cycle of development, such as finding sites, building design, planning constraints, and sales to end users. And as part of this, we'll be bringing out our crystal balls to see what challenges are likely to be on the horizon in 2030 and what actions developers may take to deal with such challenges in the future. My name is Georgina Massey. I'm a senior associate in the Solent office at Shoesmith with a key focus on residential development, mainly dealing with site acquisition and strategic land. I'm joined today by Steve Colpitt from Seawood Homes and my colleague, Grace Mitchell, who I'd like to thank for giving up their time today in recording this podcast. If you could please each introduce yourselves. Thank you, Georgie. Uh, I'm Steve Colpitt, Managing Director for Seawood Homes. Uh, we're an SME based in Chichester on the South Coast. Uh, we build between 50 and 100 units a year, but we also uh, promote significant amounts of land through the planning system. Thanks both. Um, as you mentioned, Georgie, my name is Grace Mitchell. I'm a senior associate in the planning team in the Solent office at Shoesmiths, and I deal with all sorts of planning and infrastructure issues which may arise for our clients, whether that be a developer, a landowner or local authority. So for this third episode, we've got another big topic. We've got planning constraints. So setting the scene, we've got several challenges along the South Coast um, in terms of planning requirements, which are simply affecting developments even coming forward. Um, so we've got the big topics here, you know, like nitrate mitigation and coastal and um, habitat protection. So step one, future gazing, Steve. What are your predictions for likely planning constraints or challenges developers may face or could be on the government's agenda in 2030? Mm. I think the constraints on the land and there's constraints on the build. So you've got to look at it slightly separately on planning constraints. If you go to the land, um, the environmental agenda, I think will get stronger. Mm. Uh, rightly so too. And uh, don't get anyone wrong. I'm not here uh, uh, promoting that we should build over everything because we shouldn't. Um, there are other constraints at the moment we're facing, which is water neutrality. Um, and that's affecting for our region, North Chichester, but it's Horsham, Crawley, all around there, down to Stenning, et cetera, et cetera. I think the biggest constraint is, is not knowing what's coming next. Um, we can put together our, you know, be absolutely honest with you, it, it costs an absolute fortune to put an application in because all the cons consultants you need, air quality, noise, environmental surveys for this, surveys for that. Uh, mitigation for nitrates, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very expensive. So you put your application together and you put your application in and then all of a sudden, Natural England or the Environment Agency come up with a new problem. Um, and if you, can't, if, you, if you can't resolve it, um, there is a, a holding objection and you can't get it past the system. Politically, for a lot of objectors, that's fantastic news. Um, for those people trying to find a home it's really bad news so the biggest constraint i see is not knowing what's going to happen next mm. some of the constraints put forward at the moment it will unfortunately uh, come down to money um, it always does um, and that money always goes to the landowner the land always pays um, water neutrality is a new one up, up, as i said near horsham area no guidance on what you can do 
so we're now talking to far more intelligent people than I am on how we can get around it. Mm. But it's just another obstacle to get over. It's not a carte blanche. You won't be able to do it. Just get over that obstacle. Mm. And then something else will come out and something else will come out. Mm. So and I think that's for us, that's the biggest problem. So that picks up on the on the, the land side. What about the build side? Design is always a big subject. And with emerging technologies, design has to change slightly. We think some of the requirements coming forward are difficult to, you can put them in, but do they actually work? We, we feel sometimes the planners are being led down a path. You've got to do this to be seen green. Planning committees will say, well, what have they done? What have they done to be green? What boxes have they ticked? Exactly. And uh, in, a, in a previous podcast, which I will recommend you all listen to, about <laughs> what, what you can do, it's not a box ticking exercise. But this comes then down to the planning committees. I really don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we might press you on that, Steve, maybe slightly in a bit. I mean, Grace, what, what do you think? I think just obviously you've touched on it throughout these podcasts on the different um the different constraints, obviously the political constraints, the committee side of things. There's also the conservation areas, affordable housing that you have to provide. It's just a lot of hurdles and they keep coming forward. And obviously now on the South Coast, we've got the nitrate issues, we've got the water quality issues and having to provide suitable alternative natural green space. Just going back actually to what you mentioned in podcast one of this series, where you said that you're in terms of like looking for land, finding land that's suitable. Now there's also this extra requirement that you have to provide suitable alternative natural green space, nitrate mitigation, and that's going to have a huge impact on what you can actually build and what land you actually need to pay for because you need all this extra land to be able to provide for that. And I suppose as well, there's extra competition. You're not just coming up against house builders, but you're also kind of trying to find, which we also touched on previously as well, trying to find land that's not being used as a nitrate mitigation scheme or being used as sang land. And that, that, yeah, I think the constraints that are coming forward, and this is just the start of it at the moment, I think, um, see, there's a lot of talk about biodiversity net gain that's coming through as a requirement um, for developments. I, I think the, yeah, the, the Environment Act um, came into force this month, but those provisions won't come into force until 2023, I think it's predicted. But then they're talking about evolving that into also environmental net gain, just generally, which is obviously a whole new um, level of what you need to do and it's just yeah must feel like it's never ending from your perspective sometimes yeah, it, it is it's it's not it's not easy and as i've said many times before it's sometimes not worthwhile going for smaller sites mm. it's just might as well try to get the bigger ones through the system um but bigger sites come with their own challenges especially if they're consortium led or there's uh, infrastructure issues um etc 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 but the other the other thing that we we're now seeing is the EA's flood risk mapping. Yeah. And that yeah. changed this year. Was it this year it changed? It went up. You've got to look forward now more years. You put all those terrifying pictures in the BBC, haven't they, after yeah. <laughs> after COP twenty six about the whole of the South Coast going underwater. Well, well, yeah, it is. Um but you can't really crystal ball. You, you know, George's asked us to get a crystal balls out and uh, what would what would it look like in 2030? Mm. Um, the, the EA don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, th I think it's, 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 we have to think of also today, we have mm. to deliver housing of, of, of today. And you touched on affordable housing, which is the big drive in this part of the world because housing is relatively very, very expensive. Mm. And uh, our, the RPs we're working with are really rightly so on this. So looking at um, 
making sure the homes that are come forward are, are, are planning secure. Now, what that means in my world means that when it goes into the planning system, what the, we're providing on that meets all the policies or the, or, or, the, or the requirements. And if there is a slight sway politically that they will fall in favour because you know what it's actually doing a net community gain. Yeah. And actually off the back of that, obviously we throughout all these podcasts, we've had a real focus on environmental um, changes and sort of future gazing for 2030, rightly so, because we do need to obviously put provisions in place to protect our environment and climate change going forward. But there's also quite a focus at the moment on levelling up for the government um, and what that means. Well, I think, I don't think they've ever defined it. It's still very vague at the moment, but about making places all around the country levelled up to each other so that people have the same opportunities and that a lot of that's going to be focused on development and placemaking and improving skills and, and for people in certain areas. Do you think that's going to affect the South Coast much? It would be interesting to see if the government in the coming years change the emphasis on housing need. Those listening to this podcast will know that the government set um, housing numbers based on uh, uh, an assessed need. And is that assessed need actually correct? Why do they put so many numbers on heavily constrained uh, uh, district councils? Again, I go back to Chichester because it's on my doorstep. Mm. Heavily constrained, but with a significant requirement for housing. Leveling up, I think, will come into this. I think people will start thinking, well, do I really want to live on the South Coast? What is it down there for me? It's crowded. It's busy. Um, there isn't many job opportunities. Chichester, as a prime example, we are the biggest retirement city, I think, in, in one of the biggest in, in the UK. And the employment opportunities down here aren't brilliant. But if you go further inland, uh, where Harfield catchment is not the English channel, you've got more opportunities. So I think the government doing that is, 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 is absolutely on the money. Mm-hmm. But they need to invest in HS2, them saying, we're not going to do this bit now. That doesn't help, doesn't help that message. Yeah, and that comes back to what you were saying previously about there's a lot of focus. I think there is a lot of focus just generally on using the planning system and, and developers having to sort of deal with a lot of these issues. But there needs to be a lot of focus on the national infrastructure as well to try and link these places together a lot more. Well, you, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, although we don't do them at the moment, we, if we do a public ex- exhibition on something we're doing, uh, promoting through, through a, a local plan, we always find ourselves giving out the message of the central government and local government. We get people coming in. And it's really quite sad, actually. Uh, the last one we, we did, we had... Um, we were giving a bit of a hard time because we were doing what we were doing. And we kept saying, well, this is actually a government-led initiative to build housing in this region. They have told the local authority we were in that they had to deliver this number of housing. And the local authority has decided that this is a good place for housing. Um, so unfortunately, may give us a hard time and berate us for doing it. If we weren't standing here, someone else would be. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is work with you on planning. But then... You get the people who really want it and are really, and this, this last one, is, it did stick with me. She, this lady came along and said, can I have a quick chat? Go on. <laughs> um, and she said, I really support this. I really want this. Um, you've got, there's an element of affordable housing here in this area, which we really need. Really want to support it, but I can't, I don't really want to know. And he said, oh, okay. She said, Otherwise I'll get, I'll get people have a go at me. So, and that, is the dividing planning. Yeah. 
if you want to know the constraint in planning, it's the ones who shout the most who don't want something and ones that actually really want it are, are quietened, are very, uh, from what I've seen, are too frightened to put the head above the parapet to support mm. it. So this leads me to local plans. How much of a driver do you think they're going to be in 2030? They're still going to be at the top of your agenda. Mm. Will, na- will neighbourhood plans take over um, or will they go back to facial? They used to basically say this region's got to take 4,000 houses and you sort it out much yourselves. But yeah. now they, they're more focused on district. So yeah. I think they do it for But then they're talking, aren't they, in the, in the white paper that came out in the summer, they're talking about scrapping that, that um, housing the local housing numbers and looking more locally again, but also having a national target mm. um, so that those local authorities that have been given ridiculous targets but don't have any sites available aren't in that position anymore. Um, so whether or not that comes forward, we, we shall see. But I think it's a good plan. I think that's very fair. I think it has to be fair. Don't get me wrong, you know, we've decided to build housing where we can, but we're also fully aware that some local authorities are really constrained. Some just are difficult and they do have availability. They just don't want to do it because of political pressures. Um, But some are really constrained. Yeah, definitely. Just um, sort of touching on that, what what are your thoughts um, on sort of the implications, I suppose, of the other proposals in the white paper, such as having a, a national levy and scrapping the local community infrastructure levy and also planning obligations, whether that happens, obviously that again is future gazing, but it, do you, would that be beneficial for you? I've always found that any obligation financially a bit unfair. Go back a few years, you used to have to put an art provision in the Section 106 agreement. You had to provide a piece of art. You had to put 60,000 pounds down for a piece of art. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I love art. I'm well for art, but art has its place and location. And rightly so, the civil regs turn around and said, you know, that art provision, that, that's not required to make it acceptable in planning terms. Let's get rid of it. Best idea. But we've still got an agreement, Section 106, where they, the local authorities still want £60,000 for a piece of art. Mm-hmm. So we've said, why don't we just package it up and give it to the community? We'll give that money out change the H106, that's a legal binding document. Yeah. <laughs> so that went, which was brilliant. But then um, the Highways Agency had this lovely supplementary obligation in the Chichester Local Plan document, which says you will give so much money to the upgrade of the A27 per dwelling. Where's that money gone? Mm. Where is it? It's, nothing's happened. Where has it gone? So there's pros and cons to both, really. Yeah, and I, I think they have to be fair. SIL has helped because it is focused. It focuses on local areas and the SIL goes to education. Although some local authorities, they don't accept SIL as an educational payment. You have to do it elsewhere. Mm. So, I mean, you're, you're clearly advocating here for, for SIL payments in terms of how, how good they've been. But, I mean, Grace mentioned maybe it, it will step to more of a national levy. So in the future, do you think it will be slightly more of a broad brush? We all contribute to one big pot and then central government will decide where those funds go? Or do you still think it will be on a on more of a local level? I think the good thing about a national levy would be that it could then be used for more national infrastructure and it doesn't get stuck in a certain authority and that. That means then that you can, there's a bit more joined up approach in terms of infrastructure along the South Coast, for example. But then on the flip side, what you were saying before, money can get lost as well. And you don't know if it's being used for what you intended it 
to be useful when you paid it and, and you'd want to see it used for that because at the end of the day it benefits your development that's the whole point of paying it so yeah pros and cons aren't there mm. <laughs> it just where it ends up i think that's the biggest problem um under the section 106 rules you could claim the money back after 10 years but if it goes to um a large government agency i think you've lost it mm. and they they don't have to do it they say they will but of course the problem you have in the planning terms constraint on planning if you don't if you say that i'm not paying that's not fair they'll just say holding objection mm. and that's it you can't get planning so mm. they've got you they really have got you and highways agency were quite sneaky because what they wanted this money at Chillister for the age 27 upgrade was not seal compliant so they changed it to a 278 payment oh, really? got around it so but where's the money gone um i've we we've got um good contacts in the houses of parliament and I have spoken to an MP and said, I think you should do an information request on that. And he was quite interested. Mm. But then pandemic hit and no, it didn't go anywhere. Mm. But it's a good question. Are financial contributions a planning constraint? I think if they are not directed properly and, and realistically, yes. But if they are used properly, we all have to pay them. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's in some ways, I suppose, as a developer, you probably feel that you're would be quite happy to pay that money if you know it's going to help the development in terms of access and things like that, because actually at the end of the day, it benefits the development. But then if it's just being lost, it's just, yeah, I think, or it's, you're not sort of seeing where that money's gone. It's just, you just have to then factor it into your, to your, the viability of the scheme. We do, you factor it in, but it, it's, it's the, it's the community benefit. So we, we do an infographic which shows you that we, this scheme will generate this much money and that will go towards X, Y, Z. It's very difficult to say, well, that money, we've got no idea, it drops through the hole. Yeah. And then you get, well, don't pay it then. Mm. So well, we can't, oh, well, then, you know, you're just as bad as they are. Mm. We obviously know that at the moment, as part of our planning regime, there are financial contributions as, as part of Section 106 or so, which we see for quite traditional community focused or infrastructure focused items you know such as towards the secondary school things like that maybe i'm gonna dust that crystal ball <laughs> out um could those contributions you know it's likely they're they're likely to stay here in the future i think the government's always going to want the developer to put their hand in their in the pocket to make schemes more palatable for the local community you know it, it's it's not just necessarily delivering housing, but it's also benefiting the wider community as well. So, you know, what could those financial contributions cover in the future? So one of my wacky ideas is actually it will, it could be put specifically towards more electric car charging points and developing better apps for people to find and use them. Because at the moment that is, is definitely an issue if you have an electric vehicle not necessarily easy to charge them um i mean have you guys got any other thoughts what financial contributions could be used to fund to kind of benefit the wider community is there a green fund are they talking about a green fund when monies will be taken and put into a big central pot for green initiatives i think there is mention of that i think just generally there's like we, we touched on previously and and i think in a previous podcast um because the whole biodiversity net gain side coming through and then that's going to then roll into this environmental net gain if a site can't if they can't develop or they can't mitigate on their site and they could also buy credits 
from the Secretary of State. So that's the plan. But I do think there is mention of green funds as well, but I don't know loads about yeah, it. No, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. But the problem is, well, Georgie, you know, you're a lawyer. You know, you've got to you've got to demonstrate that monies you pay do go to a certain area. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all very well saying it will go to this X, Y, Z, but you've got to actually prove it. Because a lot of people say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do it. I'm not going to give you any money to it. I'll do it anyway. And that comes back to the building regs and car charging points, et cetera, et cetera. And as we said in earlier podcasts, what would the planning requirements be in 2030? Would have everyone got car charging points and they're everywhere? And it's not not such a big push. Um, Because at one point, the planning system was hell bent that we got out of our cars, we left them, left mm-hmm. them, we got onto public transport. Sustainability, the gold, one of the golden threads in the MPPF. We've got developments with hardly any parking mm. spaces, which, um, you know, actually, when you're trying to live there, is a complete and utter nightmare. And actually, you know, it's kind of picking up what we've discussed on earlier podcasts. Actually, so much um, of planning constraints and, and where we're going with house building. It is politically driven. Um, Planning's politics. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think politics is likely to be the biggest planning constraint in 2030. And like you said, who knows what's going to be on the agenda at that time? The political side has moved. We have seen a shift from central government to local authority to parishes. Mm. I think there's a lot of pressure on parishes now to come up with complex documents and uh, I, I admire them for their work they do because mm. I wouldn't like to be in a, in a village hall trying to sort out some of the questions they get asked by a district or local council and I think it was a good idea at the time but I think it's put a lot, lot of pressure on people and I'm sure there's lots of parish councillors still coming in doing their work um, but if it gets too, if it gets too local, localized localism, I think that's too much pressure on people. And you'll find that parishes all of a sudden need more money mm. and we need better resources. And all of a sudden, you've come full circle, and the parish council suddenly say, "We'll hand it back to the district. We'll give it back to the mothership." Yeah. And we keep saying, saying to the parishes, "You know, you're just a, you're just a little ship on the side. You've got to keep referring back to the mothership. But if the mothership, the local plan doesn't exist." And the parishes are under significant pressure yeah. um, by ad hoc applications coming in, no five-year land supply, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's a big disconnect there in terms of, I think the parishes are effectively, you know, being told what the, the housing allocation is. They're having to deal with, you know, normally some disgruntled local residents. But then at the same time, you've got the bigger national picture of, you know, for example, in Chichester with the A27, the real lack of decent infrastructure to serve those new developments. And nobody actually seems to be thinking holistically with the bigger picture as to well, actually what needs to be done now in order to allow those houses to be built in 2030. And as we said earlier, perhaps the focus has to be done by levelling up. You've got to go to areas where the infrastructure can be, be provided. Mm. And... Um, you're not focusing on Chichester, which I still call a rural council. There's been a lot of pressure on them there because it's just not there. Infrastructure's not there. Let's move it away. But it's politics. So wrapping up, clearly planning constraints uh, with residential development on the South Coast in, in 2030. You know, our crystal balls, I don't think, have, have proved too fruitful in predictions because I think at the end of the day, 
who knows what's going to be on the political agenda. I think it, it's it's quite clear, you know, from our perspective, what we've discussed today, you know, the environmental and sustainability agenda will be at the top. But in terms of actually driving and, and who's going to be making the decisions, whether or not it's at a more of a local level or more of a national level, I think, yeah, it's a watch and see. So thank you very much. Thanks, Georgie. Thanks very Cheers much. Now.